This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Right now, about a quarter of Americans expect their financial situation to be worse in the new year. Let's talk about it with Greg McBride, Chief Financial Analyst at Bankrate.com. Greg, this is a poll and it's finding that Americans, at least many of them, not very confident about what 2022 is going to bring. Yeah, and a big change from the beginning of the year, Cisco. Coming into the year, those that felt their financial situation would improve outnumbered those that thought their situation would get worse by more than a three-to-one margin. What we've seen since is a big decline in that optimism and a rise in the pessimism. Now, as you noted, 26% feeling uh, that their situation will get worse, only 33% feeling it's going to get better. And the number one runaway reason that they point to, inflation. And when it comes to, maybe we can't figure this out specifically, but I'm wondering when it comes to behavior, if people are not feeling optimistic about their financial future, it would seem to move them more into a save mode as opposed to a spend mode, which has an impact on the economy. It could. Now, you're right. I think it's appropriate to throw up that caveat. Uh, When you look at things like consumer confidence measures, for example, right now, consumer confidence is at the lowest, near the lowest level in 10 years. But you don't see that when you look at the spending. So uh, you know, there's there's not a direct correlation. Uh, the one thing that does, I think, you know, give us a little bit of hope in terms of from a financial, personal finance perspective, the primary goals that people cite for the money, uh, for their money situation next year, paying down debt, saving for emergencies, budgeting, saving more for retirement, all very appropriate goals, the type of things that will improve your financial situation, regardless of the inflation or uh, other economic backdrop. That's really the tightrope that gets walked, right? Because as you mentioned, saving, investing, those are very good things. They help people out tremendously. And yet if too much of that is going on, then you don't have the spending that the economy needs. Very true. The the paradox of thrift, as it's known, but uh, never bet against the American consumer. We've got a long held tradition of being able to spend, uh, spend and spend some more. Uh, and so that's what's you know, con- going to continue to power the economic recovery. Uh, yes, you will see some people that uh, because of tight budgets and those higher costs, that is going to put a dent in spending. But with more people working and people making more money, what we're seeing is that in aggregate, it's being made up for uh, in other areas. I'm wondering if there are ways that people can, um, you know, can still continue to spend or, or live lives as they are uh, in, in a way that's maybe a little more fiscally responsible or advantageous. Uh, you know, you get people with, for example, you got credit card rewards. People have this cash back and off of that just sits there and just sits there and just sits there. Uh, you're wondering if that might be a way to just remind people, hey, there are ways you can take advantage of this stuff. Well, and particularly with inflation, right? The the problem a lot of households are facing is that 
uh, they have the same income coming in as they did a month ago, only their costs are higher. How do you stretch that income across a higher expense base? And you have to do that month after month after month. And using things like cashback credit card rewards or that stash of gift cards that you've had sitting around, that can defray the out-of-pocket expense. Maybe that's the bridge that gets you uh, to cover those higher expenses without having to turn to debt or run down the savings. Thanks so much, Greg McBride, Chief Financial Analyst at Bankrate.com. A winter surge of COVID could mean more challenging days ahead for the restaurant industry. We're also getting word Mayor Lightfoot is expected to implement a vaccine mandate for Chicago bars and restaurants. We welcome Doug Roth, founder and president of Playground Hospitality. Uh, Doug, already challenges for the restaurant and bar industry. The mayor's trying to prevent more COVID spread, and, and yet this is going to be another challenge for restaurants and bars. Just kind of talk about how they're navigating this. Uh, well, good afternoon, Cisco. Well, once again, it's it's navigating through uh, turbulent waters. Uh, I think really what's going to happen is that uh, restaurants are going to be putting on more labor, uh, even though there is not a lot of labor to put on, in order to uh, really sort of, at this, at this juncture, monitor or police the situation uh, by having people come in with their vaccination cards and proving the fact one way or another that, in fact, that they've been vaccinated. So it will be more labor. Uh, it will be more difficult, as New York has found out, as in speaking to people in New York. They said, listen, this is a rough go when we have to uh, police the situation. And they're going to have to, I mean, again, it seems like that's what the mayor is going to announce. They are going to have to do this. They're going to have to add staff. Is there a fear that some people who are not vaxxed or you know, even just don't carry that card with them, that those people just won't go to bars and restaurants? Well, I think there's always a workaround for a lot of people, and I think they'll still try to go. Uh, but I think most people that are going to, to the restaurants have had some form of vaccination. The problem is, is the cat's sort of out of the bag already. I mean, you have uh, workers or team members at this point that maybe have or have not been vaccinated, get it once a week as far as testing. But we also know people at this point, too, that have been vaccinated, in fact, triple vaxxed, and at this point, have the have some form of symptoms or no symptoms so it, it may be a situation that's going to be for not and i'm thinking about suburbs a lot of great restaurants and bars out in the suburbs is there also a concern among chicago restaurant bar owners that, that maybe people just drive across a border because different suburbs have different precautions in place well, everyone has rules at this point, and as, 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 as it goes, uh, Lake County is different than Cook. You're right about that. I, I think um, I don't know if people will necessarily be going to, uh, to different counties necessarily, but uh, from what I'm seeing at this point, uh, after going out this weekend, restaurants are fairly full, and I don't know if it's going to make a difference for people or not. That, that's yet to be determined. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was actually my next question is we talk a lot about the challenges that bars and restaurants have, uh, but, but talk about maybe some of the good that we've been seeing. A lot of them are. It's difficult. It's tough to find help, but a lot of them are rebounding. Very true. I mean, even though there are a few that announced that they were closing and a lot had to do with uh, the fact that many people uh, in some of the restaurants, and there were 24 restaurants that closed this weekend, um, but there are a lot of restaurants, both in the suburbs and in Chicago, that are really doing well. And if you don't do well in the fourth quarter, it's going to be tough to make it up. And so I'm, I'm glad to see that people are being prudent. Uh, they're being, you know, people are wearing masks in restaurants. The serving staff is wearing masks. But uh, we're getting through it, 
and, and that's the positive side. And I hope, uh, most importantly, that this variant becomes less and less powerful as, as we move forward and that we be talking differently uh, six months from now. Thanks so much. Always appreciate talking to Doug Roth, founder and president of Playground Hospitality. Amazon adding more office space in the Chicago Loop. It's preparing for a hiring spree across tech and corporate roles in the city. Joining us for a look at their plans, Danny Ecker, reporter with Cranes Chicago Business. Uh, Danny, bring us up to speed here on what Amazon's planning to do. Yeah, well, we obviously know a lot of uh, Amazon's expansion has been in warehouses all around the Chicago area for the last several years. Well, it's also been uh, adding corporate and tech roles downtown. And this is uh, now its third expansion of its office space. And Amazon said it's planning to hire 450 people uh, in downtown Chicago over the next several years. Uh, they currently have about a hundred, uh, about a thousand people in Chicago and they're just looking to continue to, to grow. And this is something that we've seen from a lot of these big tech companies that, uh, see a lot of the young Midwest, uh, tech talent that is here in Chicago. And that's why they want to be here. And good that we're seeing them actually with office space here, because in the pandemic, you've heard about so much remote work and, and people really being able to work from anywhere. It shows that there's still value in a lot of companies to having people centralized working together. Yeah, that's you know really just as significant here when you think about, you know, the downtown office market and how much COVID has really eroded demand for downtown offices because of the rise of remote work. And when you have a company like this making a big statement saying, hey, you know, not only are we, are we planning to hire a lot of people, but we really need space for them to collaborate together. That's a, a, a good piece of good news for landlords, certainly. And, um, you know, we're seeing different kinds of companies and different teams within those companies uh, take all kinds of different approaches to kind of what the return to office really looks like. Is this, you know, Chicago obviously wanted an Amazon headquarters and didn't get it, uh, but are, are little boosts like this at least a sign Amazon still sees the value of Chicago, even if we didn't get the headquarters? Well, absolutely. Uh, I mean, a huge, huge employer here now. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the Amazon growth, as I mentioned before, has been in you know, more blue collar jobs and, you know, just the, the ring of warehouses, this network they've really developed around the Chicago area and will continue to do so. Um, and they've done that in other markets too, but certainly, you know, while there was all that, uh, uh, you know, hustle and bustle trying to get, you know, Amazon's HQ two here a few years ago, Amazon was growing so quickly in big markets like this and really strategically located markets like Chicago. So there's a lot of uh, lot of jobs to be had with this company um, in the years ahead. And showing Chicago is still a place where if you want good tech talent, you can still find it here. Yeah, and that's what we've seen really from a several different uh, companies. I mean, Milwaukee Tool just signed a big lease of the old post office and uh, Deer uh, just signed a lease in Fulton Market. They want the access to tech savvy talent and you know maybe there are some trade-offs you make when you are making a commitment to chicago but certainly the talent is what keeps companies coming here thanks so much always good insight from danny ecker reporter at cranes chicago business discussing the news affecting your money the wbbm noon business hour continues stocks are on the rise the dow up 530 nasdaq up 285 and the s&p is up 70 let's find out what's going on paul nolte is here portfolio manager at kingsview asset management here in chicago uh paul the big down day yesterday now we're making back most of these losses is i mean quite a wild ride here 
Oh, it has been. I think you can probably uh, look at it like your typical Christmas party, typical uh, ugly sweater Christmas party. Last couple of days, pretty ugly, but now the eggnog has kicked in and things are looking a little bit better. And it's not really the economic data that has changed or the virus data that has changed. I think you're just seeing some people coming in and buying um, a three-day sell-off. And the volume has been pretty light. You know, we're now at that point where a lot of the traders have, you know, kind of packed up for the uh, Christmas holiday for sure. Uh, and we would also expect next week to be very light between the two holidays. So you tend to get bigger movements on, on low volumes here. And you don't necessarily want to be a trader. I mean, you want to be an investor. And yet, are there opportunities on these time periods where there's these big ups and, ups and downs? Oh, I think so. You know, certainly, uh, I think technology is an area that's probably had a pretty good run. And when you look at the flip side of that, you look at, the, uh, at some of the value stocks or some of the financials, healthcare, industrials, and so on. Those have been pretty neglected here as we kind of go, are we opening, closing the economy and what's happening with the virus? That has had an impact on those stocks on a daily basis, depending upon the news flow. But I think that provides some very good value for a long-term investor. As far as the volatility goes, it seems like that's going to continue for a while. So what should investors do to try to make money during those volatile times? Well, I think you you do not want to get scared out of the market entirely. I mean, the the when you get those types of down days, your knee-jerk reaction is just sell. I don't want to be part of this at all. But then the, the next decision when to get back in is that much tougher. I think it probably makes some sense to trim some of the holdings, especially those that have run a lot this year, and maybe take a look at the portfolio for a couple losers, may have a few of those and look to sell some of those and redeploy those assets, maybe in a safer part of the market. So a rebalance of the portfolio on a regular basis, and certainly quarter-end, year-end is not a bad time to be doing that. But that keeps you generally in the markets, but take some of those profits off the table to allow you to invest in other parts. Wondering about some of the travel stocks. I mean, they, they obviously got beat up at the beginning of the pandemic. They rebound a bit. Now Omicron comes out. Some of them get hit again. Uh, do, do you see opportunities in that sector? And, you know, that I think is going to be a good long-term investment, but you don't know who the players are going to be and how everybody's going to come out of it. It's going to depend, too, on what uh, the United States does, uh, global, uh, worldwide uh, countries do as far as allowing travel and, and some travel bans, etc. So the impact is very much an unknown, and it's going to depend a lot on what happens with the virus and what politicians' reactions are to that. So it's very hard to handicap that. And those I would probably put more in the trading category than the investing category at this point. And probably why it's it's better to be an investor overall with that long-term point of view, because that, that's where you invest in solid companies and you're patient enough to wait for them to do what you expect them to do. Yes, absolutely. And, and days like yesterday, day before yesterday, you do get those opportunities. So, you know, you want to keep your shopping list of companies that you're interested in that have those characteristics that you're looking for. We like to see uh, revenue growth, uh, free cash flow growth, dividend growth, and we like to uh, 
check off those companies that meet those criteria. And then when they get down to a price that we're comfortable paying for in days like maybe yesterday, day before, we can step into the market and do so. Thanks so much, Paul Nolte, Portfolio Manager at Kingsview Asset Management here in Chicago. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expert date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Investing 60 minutes each weekday toward planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday. Families planning to go somewhere for holiday celebrations may be reconsidering because of a possible COVID surge. Here to offer advice on how to navigate holiday travel, Cindy Richards, editor-in-chief of the online family travel magazine, TravelingMom.com. Uh, Cindy, let's talk with uh, about air travel because that's been going throughout the pandemic. They, they seem to have made changes. Is air travel a fairly safe way to go if you need to travel at Christmas? Well, I think on the plane, it's pretty safe. They've installed these new supercharged HEPA filters and they're filtering out the air. Uh, you know, my thing about travel is is really got more to do with O'Hare and Midway. The All the people that you're going to encounter in the airport, all of the different um, levels of vaccination, people who aren't wearing masks correctly, um, that's where you don't really know what's going on. And of course, you know, when you're on the plane, you are shoulder to shoulder. I just flew and I was laughing as I walked down the um, the gangway to get onto the plane and it had the symbols on the wall that said to stay six feet apart. And I sort of laughed and I said, well, until I sit down next to this guy and he's right at my shoulder. So it's really hard to social distance on a plane. Um, so wearing a mask and keeping it on as much as you can is really important. I've always been a um, enough of a germaphobe that way before there was a pandemic, I carried antiseptic wipes and hand sanitizers onto a plane and I cleaned the tray table and my seatbelt and the anything that I would touch. Um, and people used to give me kind of a funny look and say, oh, what's the matter with her? And now they asked to borrow my antiseptic wipes. <laughs> I remember you telling us about that years ago. And yeah, at the time, it it, it seemed a little, you know, she really does this? And uh -huh. now everyone's doing it, or at least they want to be doing it. That's right. I was a trendsetter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about uh, at-home tests. Earlier, we talked about how there's a rush on these things. Uh, you have drugstores that can't keep them in stock. Uh, and yet, it seems like if you can get your hands on one, it's it's good to take one what, maybe right before you travel in order to potentially put, uh, protect those relatives. Yes, uh, absolutely. You know, I was uh, just talking not too long ago with a woman who is from Britain where they can get those instant tests. They're, they're available free of charge and people buy them by the gross. And she was telling me about her aunt whose husband is immune compromised and she just keeps a stack outside the door. And when someone comes to visit, they come 15 minutes early, they take the test and assume that it's okay, then they go in. And if not, then they leave. And I think, you know, if you're, I mean, it's, it's all about your personal 
situation, correct? If you're going to visit someone who is in some way immune compromised, you want to protect that person. I mean, you don't want to be the person who made somebody sick at Christmas. Um, and if you can't, you know, if you have symptoms and you can't get tested to know whether it's COVID or something else, I mean, you know, maybe it makes a tough choice to stay home rather than take the chance. For people who still, in, in spite of what we've said about airlines and, and getting tested, for people who still don't feel comfortable, uh, driving is still an option. I mean, maybe not if you have to go all the way to California or something, but driving for a lot of these places is still a way to go. Well, that is the ultimate social distancing, right? As long as you're only in the car with the people that are in your pandemic bubble. Um, so it is much safer. If you can do it, I would recommend driving rather than flying right now, if that's a possibility. But, you know, it's it and all the things that that they've been saying throughout the pandemic, wash your hands a lot, carry wipes, carry hand sanitizers. You know, maybe it's time to get a, a better mask than just a, a cloth mask. Go and get a KN95 mask and use a really high quality mask. And the other really important thing is to know the rules of where you're going, no matter how you're getting there. You know, this is a really fast changing situation. And if you're going to New York, it's suddenly really bad in New York City again. It's not so bad in Florida where my dad is. So you want to, we have links on travelingmom.com. You can check, you can go to those sites and, and find out what's the latest. And it is fast changing. So just because it's okay today doesn't mean that on a Thursday or Friday when you're ready to go, they won't have changed the rules. Thanks so much. Cindy Richards, editor-in-chief of TravelingMom.com. Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The recent decline in stocks is starting to weigh on investor morale, but the sell-off will have to get much more severe before contrarians get back in, especially after today's bounce back. Joining us with details, Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com. Uh, Mark, help us to understand, from the contrarian standpoint, uh, People who are traders would say on a day like yesterday, you jump in and then on a day like today, you jump out. Uh, is it as simple as that or, or is that just too risky? Well, <laughs> it would be as simple as that, except it's extremely difficult to do because the emotional the thing we want to do emotionally is get out on a day like yesterday and get in today's. That means we're we're buying high and selling low, which is a recipe for losing a lot of money. I think what happens is uh, we need a lot of pessimism, as you said in the intro, to before contrarians really believe that it's worth buying. And what we've seen over the last year or so is that uh, these explosive rallies like we're seeing today come in too early. They don't really start at those points of maximum despair. And what that means from a sentiment point of view is the rallies are built on relatively flimsy foundation. I wrote a column right after Thanksgiving when we had another one of these very explosive rallies saying it's a flimsy foundation. And sure enough, the market came back down. And then earlier this week, people started despairing. And now we see another explosive rally. I don't think we're going to get a really more sustainable rally that lasts more than a couple of weeks until we see a lot more despair. We just haven't seen it yet. And so, uh, I mean, is there a certain percentage that you're looking for in order to tell you it's time to get in or, or are there other metrics that you're looking at? Well, yeah, I do. I think that's a very good question because I think uh, to, to be a contrarian that has any discipline to it, uh, the approach, you have to have an objective measure of sentiment. And there are many uh, measures of sentiment out there that are objective. And so I'd say just pick one of them and follow it. No one is perfect. Now, obviously, I'm biased. I have my own metric, which tracks the performance and the exposure levels 
of uh, stock market timing newsletters, and I think it has value, but there are many others out there. And so the key is to actually look at these objective measures as opposed to just relying on our subjective feeling. Because yesterday, it surely felt like there was a heck of a lot of despair out there. And until you actually see a measurement of that despair and use it to compare to where it, what it felt like, let's say, a month ago or three months ago or whatever, you don't really know whether you have the requisite levels of pessimism. And it's on that basis that I concluded yesterday in a column that we just haven't seen quite enough people throwing in the towel to be forming that really strong foundation for a a rally that lasts more than a week or two. Always good insight from Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's and MarketWatch.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.